Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the Liberty Squadron Podcast. My name is Andrew Lewinsky and I am joined this week with Marshall Staggs. Hey everyone. Jonathan Lee. Hello everybody. And Chris Apple. Hey. Alright guys, we have a special show. We are going to be talking about art dodging, 1v1 with art dodging, how you can get around it, stuff like that. Chris is up fun-filled episode for us but first we'll do a little bit of shout outs um i personally don't have anything this week um does anybody else uh... chris do you have I, any shout outs yeah uh so shout out to the minox for uh reading one of my posts from the forums that was that was entertaining um i don't really want to talk about han anymore <laughs> but no more han but shout out to d for for reading verbatim uh, so, suffice, suffice it to say that Chris had the most correct opinion. Just uh, wait, did did yeah. something happen with Han? Can, uh-huh. Han? Sure. We can move it Sorry, what was that, Jonathan? Did something happen with Han while I was gone? On vacation? Oh. I wouldn't concern yourself with it. All right. Yeah, no, not really, John. It's fine. Okay. Like, right. Han is pretty good. Okay. All right. Yeah. So we want to say congratulations to Mike Doe. Mike Doe went uh, top eight at the at Texas tri- Hyperspace Trial. Uh, his list yeah. was Soontir, Vader, and two bombers. Had 42 players. So Mike used to be a local player here and then decided that he wasn't gritty enough for Philadelphia and moved to Texas. <laughs> no, J- JK, Mike's great. Mike's a great person. Uh, I know he always listens to the show. So congratulations, Mike. you representing us well yeah man that's good stuff um yeah so do we want to talk any more about that um hyperspace trial yeah so just like a quick note right there's only 42 players but what's cool about that is it leads to like weird lists kind of being okay and being in the cut um so like you never want to overanalyze regional results because they're they're really kind of small sometimes and it, it it just allows all sorts of weird things to happen but my favorite thing is there's a five tempest list that that made it into the cut which is cool and did really well (laughs) um so i don't know that you can do that in a larger regional but it's five high advanced with fcs those things are actually kind of annoying to kill i think i can't remember if we talked about it on the podcast or not but we're talking about like how a torrent is like one extra hit point more than like what you can reasonably kill in one turn and I think, like, when you have shields behind three, like, green dice in a Tempest squadron, like, they're pretty annoying. Um, and they have a good dial, and FCS is, like, pretty good for how cheap it is. It's interesting, right? Because they can never get the lock at the lower initiative. So they kind of spend the first round of combat doing almost nothing. Sure. But I guess against Rebel Beef, they have a chance. I, it's just, we, we, I, I've run it. It was really disappointing. So it's cool uh, that this guy got four wins. You know, like I, yeah, I, he just knows what's up. I guess I tested it once, and it was just like, well, I will never win another game with that. So I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually played against that exact same list at Glen Burnie in the fifth round of Swiss. I think. Yeah, so, someone I I almost played him, and then I got repaired. Um, and I was super curious about what this was going to do. Yeah, my experience is pretty much nothing. But uh, it's still cool. I like the idea of it. So, um, yeah, but we can we can move on to the UK regional, Andrew. Sure. Okay. Uh, the UK regional. We have some fun list here. That Sorry, we're... UK Open. Sure. The UK Open. Five hundred something people. Always 
giving us awesome turnouts for that, which is pretty crazy to see that, like, uh, one, like, so what, they had, how many people in the cut in there? Do we have that information? 62. 62 right? people in the cut, like, that's not Top 64 or something like that, I don't right. know. Yeah. So, it, it was really cool to see all the different lists. Um, we had, you know, I don't know, some kind of fat Han person come out, but there was a lot of other cool lists that came out, so one of the things I did see was, it was Fenral. Boba Fett and L3. It's interesting seeing that come back out again. And it it ended up in top eight. So, I, you know, the, the hard thing is there's so many lists in the, you know, in the cut that it's like all kinds of things happen. But this is, this is like Fen, just a standard. Like there's almost no upgrades in this, right? It's Fenral with Predator and Boba Fett with Perceptive Copilot. And L3 no no titles. Like, that's crazy. That's like everyone it. Throwing titles on uh, Boba Fett and it's like, why not not bring a title? Right. So it's nice to see that in top eight, right? I mean, it's definitely an anecdote, yeah. but it's still cool. Sure. Um, but the, the next one in the top eight that I thought was really funny, besides the fact that there's a 605A wing, which you talked about last episode, but there's a Jack Porkins with Elusive and Chopper that made it to the top eight. <laughs> it's with Cassie and Wedge and Braylon. So you can be pretty damn sure that, you know, Jack was getting carried. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's... Maybe not, you know. I'd, I'd... It'd be pretty hard to carry Porkins. Oh, <laughs> oh sad. <laughs> Jesus, Donovan. That, that was good. That was good. Is that a dad joke? That was funny. <laughs> <laughs> what? I don't even know what initiative he is. What it is? What does he do? <laughs> what is what is so what he Parker? does is he shocks everyone with not knowing what he does, and they'd be like, I, yeah, I guess okay, I can. Let's move on to the top 16 and okay. why don't you go research that, Marshall. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I now know what Jack Porkins does. I'm not going to tell. Oh, you're, you're not going to enlighten everyone? The with Jack you have to go look it up. Yeah, it's basically the same. Yeah. All right. Okay. But this is great for the listeners. I'm, I'm sure they're appreciating every minute. <laughs> you know, it's, there's going to be that one guy that's just like, Jack Porkins does this! And be really mad <laughs> yeah, at us for not knowing what Jack does. Someone knows. Someone. All right, knows. so let's move on to top sixteen. <laughs> All right, yeah. Um, so into the top sixteen. I, the the we talked last episode about the four uh, K wings list that that did pretty well. It may have actually finished a little higher than top sixteen. I don't know if I have this right, but it does have Sabine in it. I don't know if we mentioned that last episode. Sabine's so um, good. Uh, yeah. The Rick Van Ness. You mean the four K wing? That's right. Yeah, he played. He lost in the semis to Luke Townsend. So if he had beaten Luke Townsend, he would have gotten to the final to face Jack Mooney. All right, so I do have this wrong. That was a top four finish for him, then. Yeah, it should. Be. Yeah, I, um, I'm pretty sure. Sh- yeah, he did play Luke Townsend. Wow. All right. Cool. So I mean, that's. Um, I guess Sabine's pretty good. Yeah. I, I, like, it's, yes. we've talked about that in the past. Um, and the other one that was in the top sixteen was just another Drea and and three Scrug list. So that's still out there and extended. Mm. Um. I I did highlight here the uh, the two two quad initiative five resistance lists that made the top sixteen and extended as well. Right. So that's so. I know we debated that a little bit last episode, but apparently, you know, four four initiative five resistance things is still pretty useful. Sure. Yeah. yeah. We're we're seeing. Oh, I I just don't like the A wings. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm looking at this and I'm just like uh, I'm tired of seeing A wings. Yeah, we got until June, I think. Yeah, there, I mean, Lulo at least is going to take some take some hits. Um, that's pretty obvious. But 
Hey, so in the top 32, though, there's there's two really kind of funny lists here. Um, the, the the first one is Fen, Old T, and Cad, which is went five and one, I guess. Um, so that's just three Fang fighters. Seems yeah, that was at. I've seen if it wasn't that same player, I've seen that list. Um, I think it was in Chicago. Um, there uh, there was a game on stream with that list, and it was. Uh, I mean, it does exactly what you think it does when you look at it. Um, but it's it's really interesting, and I'm I'm kind of surprised that it it got that far in. But maybe I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe it's pretty good. Seems kind of dependent on how you're rolling your green dice. You know, like if he had a couple of good games with with his green dice, like that that can probably put that list in a different tier. Yeah. So okay, I've been running the four Fang Fighter list for at least two weeks now, and like uh, my attitude's kind of completely changed on them. Um, if you fly them right, like they're just not taking damage, or if they are taking damage, it's like one at a time. I, I think. Well, we're going to talk about arc dodging later. I mean, no, yeah, I'm not even. That's kind of the thing with them. I'm not even talking about arc dodging. I'm just saying like that Concordia face off, like in general, like <clears throat> it, it's good. Like it does what it needs to do, and it, it definitely helps. Like I mean, like I was flying the initiative one ones with it and it's like even it, it my opponent was like i want to be at range one like that's like what i want to do like as a player but like that isn't the right call to make here and like it was really interesting opening up the field to different things with these so so like my yeah. attitude on fine fighters has completely turned around since probably the past couple episodes i like i mean i like that list a lot you know i do um it it's I, I the fact that it has four ships in it though, it makes me understand it a little better. Right. <laughs> Even if they're lower initiative. Sure. So I mean, can, I can't this... imagine running three Fang fighters though. Well, that's too stressful. It's like... terrifying. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> terrifying. There's no margin for error with that list. Yeah. Um. You know, if you get the range wrong once, you need your green dice to save you. Yeah. So for the four, where you were for the four Fangs, you're referring to Fen in the three Zealotry group. Yes. That's right. Correct. Okay. So. Um, so Ollie Pucknell, the 186, he has a YouTube channel and, uh, he had, or, and a Twitch channel and you can watch his, um, he has some vassal games where he flies the, his, um, the fangs. And I'm in the middle of watching a game where he's flying them against, uh, Phil GC flying five A wings. He, he's, so I, I follow him a little bit on vassal every now and then I, I know in the vassal league, he's. He's he's like seven and zero or eight and zero with that, and a pretty high tier of the Vassal League, um, which is pretty impressive. But obviously, it's a good list in the right hands. Sure. I just you know it's 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 definitely a kind of thing where people, I it could be no matter how good it is, I don't think people would use it very often because of just the nervousness around it, you know. Um. So something else which we've talked about somewhat extensively last episode, but I I think wanted to mention it. There's a. There's a five and one Han Solo Kanan inertial dampener list with Wedge and AP five with Leia, um, which is a kind of a neat little variant on that, and likely could have done even better than it did. I, I wonder what he faced going through the cut. Finish top thirty two. Um. So I, I like the AP five just as a Leia carrier by itself. Yeah. Right. So were you getting AP five in wave five? Yeah. We ought, we ought to be. Yeah. 
uh yeah wave five yeah with it comes out with the uh the y-wing and the nandars okay it's kind of interesting right because it's like leia's already letting you not take stress kanan's already letting you not take stress and then ap5 is just coordinating you anyways <laughs> like right. the, the one time that you have stress um, maybe i'm misunderstanding this but it's it's cool no it'd, it'd be interesting to see if they do cycle anything out like it, how big of a cha- game changer would it be if they just cycled like it out I'm like oh, okay have fun um yeah yeah i get we yeah we don't know their philosophy yet about like how much movie stuff they want to have in hyperspace but if they if i mean based on what ships they're they've put into hyperspace right now i feel like they want movie stuff in that format and i if that's the case i don't i think leia's like here to stay like they might futz with her points again but i i expect that she'll be around for I also think it may depend on which release Leia. Just like, does, is she in the Falcon new? Just like, is the new Falcon blister out? Yeah. I don't even know. We could check. Um, I don't know. Maybe they'll rotate Han Solo out and rotate the VCX in. That'll make people happier, right? Yeah. That'd be cool. I'm fine. With that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, until, until someone breaks it, and then maybe. Well, yeah, so that's that's the main the reason that I think like I'm kind of pausing on this list is it's it just kind of shows that the, the final iteration of these Han Solo builds isn't out there yet. Um, so yeah. we don't have to go down that rabbit hole again. But I just you know this is, it's it's fairly obvious that there's more you can do with this than just you know an A wing. Mm-hmm. Wait, Han is good. Yeah, All right. and apparently you don't have to just run the one build that did well. Right, there's other ways to run on solo. Sure. <laughs> you um, know what though, like Joe, like not getting into that topic again. Like, if Han Solo is like good at this game, so be it. Because like, last thing I want to hear is people being like, "This is X-wing and blah 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 blah." And like, if Han's the ace pilot of the galaxy, like just let him be good. Uh, okay, just not this way. <laughs> sure, yes, just not this way. I I want him to be irrelevant character in the game that's cool man but mm-hmm. not not with these types of game mechanics um so moving on to the top 64 though i uh, just similar kind of uh, uh kind of interesting concept here we, we it has wedge in it uh but it's a vcx with hera and saw Gerrera and leia and nora and in, in uh the arc so that went 6-0 in swiss um which i, I find that kind of like it's a genuinely cool, right? Like just having a VCX that you're going to burn to the ground. Right. And I know we were talking about this a little bit before the show. And like, I think the VCXs are really underrated at the moment, especially just an extended, like, yeah, I mean, it's got four attack dice. Like we should probably be looking at it. Um, and I don't know why I think, I don't know. Personally, it's the zero green dice that kind of scares me away from it, but it's got again, it has, it has reinforced exactly. So yeah, I don't know. And um, I, it's it's the kind of situation where like, I I feel like before um, the Falcon was added to hyperspace, or, or rather, I guess it wasn't added, but I feel like when we started to get the Falcon into hyperspace, it came with a point adjustment, and it probably would have been decent even before that. Um, the VCX might be in a similar place where like I really wonder if if FG will give it a point reduction on the way into hyperspace and the impact that that could have. So we know um, because seats, to your point, Andrew, I think it's already probably pretty good. You know, right. if that philosophy, then I can't wait to see the uh, seek point reduction. Um. <laughs> well, yes, I mean the seek obviously needs a point reduction, but like yeah. it makes me wonder about like you know like 
if the VCX can go six and zero in an extended tournament of this size, right? It's just the issue is it's not the traditional VCX build that I think people look to, right? Right. Like yeah. it's a giant, awesome, scary X-wing that can K turn and reinforce and kills itself to shoot you. Sure. Like <laughs> that's what it is. It's not the double tap kind of turret platform of Legend. Sure. Well, when when the in in back in first edition when the VCX first came out, I think that's how people first played it before they started putting like no one docked at the attack shuttle like at first. Right. So they yeah, they just used it as a big four die gun because it was relatively cheap. Like you just put like um fire control system and caribou or something. Yeah, dash really dash lothal rebel was a, yeah. a list that I ran for a long time because the lothal rebel was like forty two first edition points, which and then, and in a meta where two ship lists were like not a problem, so you, you could you could run it and it was fine. And I think if a infiltrator can do okay, then you know maybe there's if infiltrators can do okay, then sure. there might be room for a for the VCX. Yeah, when I look at it, right, like the dorsal turret's only two points, so you can actually just add that for fun. Like it doesn't, you know what I mean? Like you're not bringing it as like the TLT platform it used to be. Right. Um, although there might still be a build out there eventually that leans into all the turret mechanics and the double tap and the docking that we just haven't found yet. Like, I wouldn't sleep on that. It still seems possible to me. Um, you're not a low enough cost to some of those upgrades now. It it's you know it's probably not the only way to run it. Is this an X wing? I think as long as we don't get back to the point where you can fit three generic VCXs. Uh, I agree with you there. Yeah. The first time I ran no, it, they'll, like they'll that, never like, let they'll never let us do that. Right. Which tells you the point reductions that they're kind of limited to, right? Like, there's no way that they can reduce it. I I wouldn't want them to re reduce any of the pilots any further. Um, and they can't really reduce any of the upgrades in any significant way. So I, this is probably where it's going to be. And it's it's fine, you know? Like, you can, you don't even have to run Saw. You can run Magba Yaro, right? Like, that's... Mm -hmm. Your opponent has to opt into doing that damage, but you got to... Now you have Tavson that can do a 4K turn. Like, it's not bad. Hey, why not make a white, too, with uh, Leia? Oh, God. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> um. I don't know. Maybe we could do an episode about the VCX. Try to convince me to like it. I think that's a very good idea. Because uh, I just, on paper, I've never, I just always had a low opinion of it, but it's it's time to maybe change that. Throw it on the table and watch it blow up one of your uh, strikers in one turn and be like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whoops. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been getting so much kind of value out of Tabson, right? That I feel like if I switch to a, li a, a rebel list with Luke in it and Hera, like, that that would be a reasonably natural, you know, move. It's just, it's just it would end up with a K turn. Yeah, imagine a Upsilon shuttle that can K turn. I'm kind of in on that. It's a lot more expensive ish. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So. So all right. Uh, so moving on, Jesper Winstrom. He is not playing a swarm. So. He's stuck with his Fang Fighters, right? He's just running. FFG told him he couldn't run Paylob, so he took Paylob anyways. So he's got he's got <laughs> multi crow Paylob, old T, and Fenral engine upgrade on Paylob five and one top sixty four. Yeah, that's fine. He's been playing that for. A while. He flew out of Coruscant, right? He sure did. Yeah, he's been playing um, it very well. He's been playing that for a while. He's yeah. like most famous for the robots. Oh, he is robots, um, not swarms. Okay, right, right, right. But I, Andrew, we were talking earlier about this, like that. That combination of Fen Raoul, Tarok, and Paylob, or, or Fen Cavill and Paylob, 
Sure. They didn't cost that out of the out of the game, which is neat because I think maybe they kind of recognize that like that's not an easy thing to play. No, um, and here's the thing about the multi-pro title: like all the pilots rely around a firing arc, so like it seems appropriately costed right now. Like it's it might have gone up a lot of points, but it deserves that pricing. Like when it goes hand in hand with that stuff, like it, it didn't price it out of the game; it made it. It was broken before, and now it's probably appropriate. Yeah, I mean, the big thing, right, is you can still run it with a significant bid in a three-ship list. Like, that's, you definitely can do that. And then you, you start running out of room to bid as you make the third ship, like, more more useful than old Terok, right? Which is how it should be. Um, the weird thing with the Hawks, though, now for Scum, is because Multicrow is as expensive as it is, like, all the other Hawks are completely useless to begin with, Right? I, I I wonder what they'll do to the rest of the Hawk 290s in the Scum faction. Like that's got to be on the radar. Sure. Um, I mean, <laughs> Moldy Crow can cost different amount of points for different pilots. We can have that. We have the technology to make those point costs variable. Like, you think they would do that? Does that matter? I think I think they can. I think they can. I mean. My, my my basic point being that the fact that Moldy Crow is so expensive makes mediocre Hawk pilots unplayable. Whereas, you know, if they made it so that Moldy Crow costs different points on different ships, we could still have Paylob be appropriately costed with Moldy Crow and also have the other ships appropriately costed with Moldy Crow. And it wouldn't, you know. It's, it seems like such a hard, hard to balance. Easy. Like, I well, yeah, I'm not saying that it's an easy thing to nail on the first try, but it's. I feel like it's something they could attempt without, you know, upsetting the apple cart too much. But if they don't want to do it, they don't want to do it. It seems like they don't. There are there are other things where they could have upgrades cost different things on different ships, and they maybe maybe we just haven't gotten to the point where that's been necessary, but. It's not like anyone's really yelling. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not holding my breath for it to happen, I guess. Is right. I'm there's not a whole bunch of people yelling for like... I guess there's Kyle Katarn fans that wish that was more useful. Um, but it's just a, yeah. it's a fine line. Paylob is my yeah. favorite Star Wars character. <laughs> I really liked how he blew up the Death Star. <laughs> he was the yeah, best. He did blow up the Death Star. <laughs> he took its focus token and then he blew it up. Yeah. We all saw it. That's the challenge, right? Is that card just has... It has so many... It gives you so much, right? It gives you the extra die, and it gives yeah. you the option to hold, you know, tokens. I guess. I mean, so. they could drop the cost of like. Uh, so speaking of scum hawks, I don't or any hawk. I don't think anyone will, like the generic. I don't think can be. I don't imagine picture ever seeing the generic on the table for either rebel or scum. But if you dropped Torkoal enough, you know, even without the title, he could be useful. Like if he were 30 points, everyone would still want to, all your opponents would want to shoot him first. Yeah. You know, so it's, he's still, you just put him, you just put him in the back and have him do his thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's strange. I mean, it, it's sort of funny, right? Cause we got 2.0 and all these like forgotten ships got their moment in the sun and then, <laughs> and then we just got rid of <laughs> sure. Like, so it's, it's probably okay. Um, the last the last uh, list on here that we included was just uh, the the Rebel Alpha Strike that we had talked about last episode, which uh, Fon Langalon, I don't I have no idea how to say his last name. Um, that sounds, that sounds right. 
pretty close, right? He, he's a pretty good player from, I, I knew him from 1.0, or at least knew his name. Um, ended up 4-2, and two, right? But he was kind of like the highest MOV 4-2. and two. Um, And this is just the U-Wing with lay attack officer and then uh, double torps, double regen, and then burners um, for the X-Wings. So that's uh that's that hits like a truck and and probably can do a lot of damage to a lot of lists i find it kind of interesting i like you know it's it's straight up an alpha strike right there's it's just there's nothing complicated about it um, yeah my i don't know my concern about a list like that is what do you do from turn five onward but uh, yeah he know apparently he he has figured it out because he went he went four and two so he knows yeah you start it. using that u-wing like a really great blocker which they're amazing at and yeah. then Hopefully that, you know, Wedge has a weird way of kind of rolling his way out of trouble every now and then. So if Wedge gets, you know, a little bit of defensive dice help, um, it can get stressful, right? Because then you got to deal with a full health Luke. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I imagine I everyone that, shoots Wedge there. Yeah, yeah. And I guess that, um, at, uh, you know, on the first engage, you're shooting at range two or three. So you have plenty of room to just fly off in a random direction and, you know, regen any damage you took and, you know react yeah. to what your opponent is doing and have plenty of room to arc dodge it's definitely like it's a rogue one list right you wing two x-wings neat um so recapping i guess all these different system opens and the hyperspace trial um so we we do see like a lot of patterns i would say of like the phantoms and cons popping up but at the same time it's kind of like you see these like Fenrals popping up. Paylob is still here. You got Ghost in the MX. It says to me that the state of the game is like, with the exception of a few things. Don't you know? Don't crucify me for this. It's in a very decent spot that like you can make cuts with these things and still perform. Like, would you guys agree? Or, well, I mean, so like the percentages for the Phantom are crazy sure. right so you, you mentioned that you set that aside but it, it just it raises an interesting question of like there's this all this stuff in extended that clearly works okay the thing i'm most interested in is as it transitions into hyperspace the impact that it has right and i feel like you could take any piece like from some of these extended winning lists winning lists and just drop it into hyperspace and it'd be immediately like potentially top tier you know um like, I, I, what would a Hawk 2 Knight, like, what would Paylob do to for scum in hyperspace? Probably a lot, right? Like, it's it would be immediately relevant and maybe change the entire scum faction, just that one ship. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I'm feeling a little stale on scum, but maybe, like, so that is something that might, it, it shakes up the thing, but at the same time, I don't think it should, people should fret against it. Like, I think people should try to figure it out and be like, okay, I'm not sure if there's any kind of play testing or anything that goes on with um, like what they do throw into hyperspace or not, or if there's any kind of rhyme or reason, but it'd be interesting to see, like, is there a reason that they are throwing certain things into hyperspace? Right. So like, think about the, um, I don't really want to think about this, but the, you know, the, the, the rebel um, Fen Rao, right? What's the name of that ship? The Sheathapede? Yeah. Yeah. So, so just adding that to rebels um, would would be impactful in some really interesting, or I don't know, about interesting ways, but it could have serious impacts on the hyperspace meta because of what those ships can do. And 
you know, if they, that's one that they would probably on the way into hyperspace, reduce the costs. Yeah. Right. And, and like, then, and then Jedi would stop making the cut and then we'd have maybe? to reevaluate. I mean, yeah. I feel like it's a pretty hard counter to a lot of ascendant stuff in hyperspace, I think. Right. So like, that's the kind of thing where it's like that. I don't, I, I, I wonder how they approach those decisions because, um, it, it just it, in a smaller format these changes have more yeah. they have bigger impact it feels like sure sure yeah uh, but like I said, he's, he's 52 points which seems like a lot who fun um fan yeah i mean he's got the he's got the front and the back arc still so his abilities basically on all the time he has an astromech slot so you can put our four on him um can that ship it can barrel roll right yeah. Uh, it has focus and coordinate. Oh, damn, right. Yeah, so they did they did take that away, but I mean, it has uh, it has nine blue maneuvers um, and its ability. So I don't know fifty fifty four points for it with R four astromech seems a little high to me, but mm-hmm. I, I might be wrong. Yeah, but I mean, speaking of um, extended Andrew, I'd agree. It seems like you can br- there are a lot of really weird and interesting lists in this top 64, like this eight vulture droid swarm that came in 58. Oh man. So the guy went five and one with four trade Federation drones, four separatist drones, all with energy charges. And then where was this? And then someone who brought two gunboats and echo and whisper. Huh? Uh, Came in 28. You know, two gunboats, Echo with Juke, Whisper with Afterburners and Juke. And then, so it's just like really interesting. Like, I would never have thought about that. Right. Like, obviously, yeah. like what I was saying earlier, there are stuff that does shine out. But at the same time, it's like, be creative with these things. Like, I know the the dream is to think of this perfect list that completely just dumpsters everything and be the first one that finds it. But at the same time, like, we shouldn't be ever in that state of the game that there is this dream list that just dumpsters everything. There's architects and then there's copycats and then there's, you know, people that are just fly what they normally fly really, really well. So um, I, I would definitely try to encourage getting out there and just building your own list, testing it, see what it does, optimizing it to the best of your ability um, like Christ, you don't even have to really build too much if we're seeing stuff like Fen, Rail, Boba Fett, and L3 with hardly any, you know, upgrades. I mean, Fen has Predator on him, and like, honestly, how many people have taken an EPT other than Fearless on Fen? So it's interesting to see that, and I extend it's here to stay whether people like it or not. Like, I know there's a lot of people that say, uh, you know, hyperspace is the better format or stuff like that, but. It, when it all comes down to is there's going to be two different formats in the end and we're going to have to just kind of play it hand in hand. It's, I, I would say, get it out there, play it. Like, obviously, hyperspace is a very delicate thing with that if you do throw these different things into the mix, it might break the game. It might, you know, not break the game. It might just be that you need to figure it out and stuff, but... I think the state of the game is in a fairly okay spot at the moment. Like I said, I know, trust me, and I'd be shocked in June if they do not adjust some kind of points with the Phantoms and Han, but 
at the same time, if you're looking at all this other stuff that did make the cut, like, I think it's okay. Well, I mean, hey, we haven't really gotten any of the percentages from the, this open, right? Um, that'll be interesting. Just once we look at the actual, like, cut percentages and the rest. Sure, and, um, like, here's the other thing. Like, we'll get percentages, and then, like, in two to three months, like, they will be completely changed that it's, like... The state of the game of, like, FFG is just being like, okay, we're just going to nerf this completely and, you know, move on. Like, it's it's a very... What's the word I'm thinking of? Like, that, that it changes so often that, like, we can't ever consider, like, one meta to be completely dominant in the game for, like, more than six months at a time. And it's probably not even going to be six months at a time because... Um, it takes time for the things to figure out and the, the data points to come out about that, those lists. Yeah. I mean, you're not gonna have to deal with quad fans for much longer <laughs> or, or fat Han, right. That that'll get addressed too. Sure. So it's all but at the same time, if you are going through something, they might be the right answer to fly. But at the same time, I encourage you to go out and build your own things. You know, there is no, I was just looking, there's no Poe Dameron in the top cut at all oh man not a single one <laughs> it's uh, so crazy it's yeah so crazy. but i mean it's is that a, is that a function what? of the, the other options for resistance what are you gonna it, say chris why 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 where is poe where is he <laughs> where are you hiding him <laughs> <laughs> well no i i mean like like why would i think brett spoke to this last last episode right where it, there's resistance pieces that just fit well together and and Poe is kind of the odd man out at the moment. Doesn't mean he's bad, right? I mean, maybe he is. So did Kylo make it? Oh. Yeah, yeah, Kylo did okay. okay. I think there was a Kylo that was six zero. Um, I didn't see it. I was uh, I didn't look at the data, but okay. <laughs> um, do we want to? Yeah, there was. Yelte DeBoer went six zero. He played. Right. Did he play Simeon in the? He's the finalist who played Simeon. Oh no, he played Simeon before in the quarters, final, semifinals at Worlds. Never mind. Just... Let me, uh, we're gonna have to edit this 35. All right, so do we want to talk about that anymore? Like, the, um, like what our no. thoughts are on any of this, or do we? I don't think so. We can move on. Um, okay. I mainly just wanted to hit the, kind of goofy list that were in there i think that's your last point was sort of the whole reason for that right right it's just there's there's random shit that did okay and there always is but that's cool all right so we have instead of doing a normal meta analysis of different things we are going to talk about arc dodging and basically arc dodging 101 um what to do if you are moving first moving last like different graphs that we're gonna have link in our show notes um basically to try to help yourself like i know it we always talk about bids and how much like you always want to be moving last and like the perfect defense is to not be getting shot at all. And we wanted to go into that a little bit about just like what you can do if you are moving first or if you are moving last and like what you can do about it and how to basically make your perfect engagements that you need to do. <laughs> yeah. Perfect's a big word. Um, right. So I, I guess this, this conversation will be, it's really a little bit of just like a discovery process about what it means to arc dodge, right? Um, 
when I started playing X-Wing, right, like people introduced the concept of arc dodging to me by like subjecting me to it, right? <laughs> so I was, I was running my X-Wing and then like all of a sudden they were taking a shot from out of arc and it looked like the coolest thing I'd ever seen and that they must be like the best player in the store. Um, but then of course, like you do it once and it's like, oh, that was, I just, I just looked at the table and I moved, right? And it was fine. Um, but then you, you play a little longer and it becomes obvious that it, it's, it's not even as simple as that, right? Like there's a little more nuance to it. So um, yeah, what I was hoping to talk about here is just really like the very basics of what arc dodging looks like and just break that down. And then we can kind of scale that back up to what's actually realistic to what happens in the game. Um, that's essentially the, the topic. So I don't know. Do you guys have any memory of the first time you arc dodged a ship? Because it feels cool, right? I mean, I felt like I was a genius, but <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but were it you? Prob- it's probably because I was flying 1.0 dash or something, and I like boosted barrel rolled out of a bad situation. Oh man! Okay, um, so you're dash boost- yeah. So so I was basically not doing the thing that you're describing. But fair. That's that's a really good story. <laughs> you're basically. Like, I, I I did by definition dodge several arcs and it felt very well, good so i'm actually glad you brought that up because what we're not going to talk about here is like um like the all the other ways you could dodge an arc so this is very specific to you know the traditional boost barrel roll ace or barrel roll ship right forward arc not rear arc like the, the rest of this conversation is just sort of that right um arc dodge yeah like han han boosting does not count I don't think for the purposes of this conversation, it fits the English of the term, right? It, it fits arc dodge, like yeah, mm-hmm. arc dodged, good job. But um, this is more specific to like kind of like the booster barrel roll concept. So let's get into it, right? So yeah. um, I, we we just kind of covered off how the first time you do it, it's sort of like it feels cool, right? Like you you feel like you accomplished something. Um, but then over time, you, you you will probably find yourself in spots where you try to boost barrel roll out arc, and you simply you fail, right? Um, and that usually feels real bad because you end with like a stress, you're still in arc, you don't have any mods, you take a bunch of damage. That cool thing you tried to do just makes you look dumb. Yeah. Right? We've all and been there. worth like probably loses you the game, depending on what you're running. Yeah, like you're probably giving up half points on a ship that needs some kind of modifier to get its agility to work. Like there's all kinds of problems that it causes, right? Um so so I think it's good to start with like the general piece here which is when i'm arc dodging i'm getting used to like where my ship will land if i boost and barrel roll just generically right like if i have a small base ship i can kind of sight or visualize where a boost and barrel roll will end up and i rely more on that kind of dynamically in a game to figure out when i want to do that than i do any like rule of thumb of where i am in relation to that ship you know what i mean like it's way, it's just more general that you just, you, you get good at sighting a one hard turn, right? Or a, a, a five forward from your maneuvers. You do the same thing with the boost and barrel roll. You mm-hmm. should have a general sense of where your barrel roll lands and your boost will get you. Now, the good thing is that those two maneuvers mm-hmm. are kind of separate. So you will have the opportunity to barrel roll, right? And then once you barrel roll, then you're going to sight the boost. You can decide if you're going to boost. Problem is, as soon as you barrel rolled, you kind of committed to that that maneuver, and you may then, to get out of the problem that you caused for yourself, have to boost the other way, or some other 
you know, op, you know, suboptimal direction, right? Um, yeah, there are a lot of times when I've thought that I could barrel roll and then boost left. And then I'm like, oh, no, well, that is actually going to put me on a rock. So I can't boost that direction. So I have to boost right. And then I'm out of the fight for two turns because I have to turn around. Like that is a right. that is a very real thing when you're learning. Exactly. Uh, and it, even even after you've learned, right, like you, you just the more comfortable you are and the more you're able to visualize where the boost barrel roll will land, you know, the more you can just kind of do this on a reactionary basis. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's worth saying. And then, you know, not every ship can boost a barrel roll, right? Like a lot of ships can only barrel roll or only boost. You can still arc dodge with just a barrel roll. And in fact, like a core concept of arc dodging, a really fundamental concept is the more you reposition with a ship that can reposition, the worse that ship becomes, right? And that kind of sounds backwards, but in general, since I, like FFG has done a good job of trying to balance some of these aces, if you boost in barrel roll, you're going to end with a stress in, you know, in Kylo's case, and you won't have anything but your force mods. Now, that's kind of crazy, right? Because Kylo gets a force mod. But if you consider Blackout, who's like a real problem to solve, a real ship, he, he ends with nothing. You just give yourself a stress, right? And you boost in barrel roll, and that's all you've got. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, like, just because you can boost in barrel roll, you don't necessarily always want to, right? You need those those focus modifiers, or you need your target lock. Um so getting good at this gives you more dice mods, right? And that's that's sort of why you should actively practice citing it. Um, I'll pause there. Any kind of comments on that? I guess there's some ships that really don't care, right? Like like Jedi still care because you'll burn up your force charges like unnecessarily, right? Well, yeah. Je- I mean, Jedi always have a focus token is basically what it is. Like you boost barrel roll, you're not stressed, and you have a focus token. You get three actions, and it's great. Right. Every, so every, Yeah. You use so. up some of your stamina bar maybe a little faster than you wanted to, which is still a problem, right? Because the, during the long game, that becomes an issue. Um, but yeah. So I, like the, the the ship that's most punished by this, in my opinion, is is like Soontir, right? Like Soontir has to actively make that choice between, you know, essentially using his ship ability with a, folk, a, a token into a reposition. Um, you just need to be like really conscious of, of, of not over abusing the the repositions right go ahead jonathan yeah i was gonna say when i was learning to fly at first i did spend a lot of time doing like playing the game of like putting a base down and say okay i'm gonna do a three bank where does the three bank land to me and putting uh, another ship down there and seeing how close i got but i'll have to, i've never done that for like boosting and barrel rolling so that could be a good exercise to if you had you just had the ship down. You're like, okay, I'm going to boost left, barrel roll, right, or whatever, and then just practice putting yep. the ship down in that spot. Right. I would actually recommend that. Right. Like, it, it, so, so real in the way that X-wing works, right, is when it's a good game, you don't, you don't know what where your opponent is going with their dial, right, and you basically aren't. You don't have like people talk about perfect information for aces, right, and reactionary. It's true. Aces get to react, but they react after both dials have been revealed, right? First dial gets revealed, and then you move. So when you're practicing, right, you can take a ship stationary and just practice the sighting of boosting and barrel rolling out of arc and where that's easier and where it's not. You'll see images in the show notes to kind of, like, give you a sense of that. Um, But, like, real X-Wing, you're actually looking at sort of this blob of where all the arcs might end up, 
and then you're choosing your dial based off of like the edges of that giant blob right and that's kind of that you're arc dodging a much wider area than just the forward arc of a stationary ship so i think that's like it's really critical to note because my, the sh like these show notes and the images reflect a stationary ship that you're just boosting and barrel rolling away from when you're actually flying one of these you have to plan for where the arc goes it's I'm explaining something that's really simple, but it's like you have to note it, if that makes any sense at all. And then, uh, uh, then what other by arc dodging? You mean obviously, you mean getting out of your opponent's arc, but do you mean also keeping your arc on them as so still engaging them as opposed yeah, to disengaging? So we'll right, right. So for the first couple of these that we'll step through, it's 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 getting out of arc while still taking a shot. What I refer to as an uncontested shot. So, you know, just basically you start in arc, you end up out, you take a shot and you don't have to defend. Mm -hmm. That's the, that's the kind of the first layer of this. Um, so in, in the images, you'll see it's kind of like there's specific spots in an opponent's arc where if you land there, it's actually possible to do the boost barrel roll out. Um, so just describing this for the listeners, the way I think of it is if the arc is a cone, right? There's kind of a slice of pizza that's in the middle of that cone, where if you land in the very middle of it, that slice, you're you're too far kind of into the center of the arc to get in or out of it. Now, again, this is a really simple concept, but it basically means that, like, when if if you've landed in the arc, you should be able to visualize generally, right, where the where the areas are where you should just take a focus token. Right, because you, if you attempt the boost and barrel roll, you're going to fail. Yeah. So that's the thing, John. That you can actually practice, right? Is you can put your ship down and try to guess: mm -hmm. can I boost and barrel roll out from this location, and mm -hmm. then check the arc afterwards. It's actually super useful because you don't want to be in a tournament game, right, and mess that up. And because of the way the barrel rolls are now, it's super easy to do that because um, it's just it's it's less obvious as to how far you're going to be able to go. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So um, kind of scrolling down here, I think you get to kind of the image of essentially soon tier arc dodging, right? That's the sort of straight on approach. Um, but this is also super contrived because you can come from various angles and the more angled you are, the easier it is to spend one action to get out of arc. This is really important, right? So one of the images is of Anakin just coming on an angled approach and all he has to do is barrel roll to get out. And that's it, right? Um, that's that's hugely significant because if you don't have to spend the boost, then you get a target lock, right? Um, so people always talked about kind of setting up on angles in their deployment. I think that's part of why they do that, but that's not the only way to get to that moment, right? You can just sort of time when and you know the angle of approach to an opponent to set that up. Yeah, we, we've actually uh, touched base on this back a while ago. I know Jonathan talked about the, the bank is your friend. Like if you know that your opponent has to do a straight or is going to do a K or something like that, something that you know that the position of their ship is going to end up, you could kind of try to base your movement off of like a bank or something like that. So you can angle your ship to where their arc is going to be so that you can try to just barrel roll out of it instead of having to do the double action to uh, get out of arc. Right. So if you're if you're coming straight on, right, like if you look at the arc, the, your opponent's arc, there's sort of this like no-fly zone, range, like middle of range two all the way through range three, and that's that kind of slice of the, the arc that I was describing. 
where if you're straight on like that is a really wide area that you can get into trouble. But if you kind of bank into just a corner of their arc or where you expect their arc could be that giant blob that we talked about before, um, then, then it's just, it's more likely you'll end up in what I refer to as the green zone. Right. And you, a lot of this depends on knowing what your opponent could possibly dial in. Right. Like they could hard turn on you while you bank in, but that's all the stuff you feel out. That's the, the game, right. That's the interesting stuff. Right. Um, so I, the other kind of image I had in here was of just a ship that strictly has a barrel roll. And what's kind of interesting about this is if you have a boost and a barrel roll, that green zone in your opponent's arc is a lot wider. But when you have just a barrel roll, and of course this should be obvious, but when you have just a barrel roll, you have, need to be much closer to the edge of their arc to get out. Um, and that, that means like a ship like Vader hugely benefits from having afterburners, right? Because that it just kind of widens the area where you can you know, be imperfect in where you land. Now, of course, Vader's the type of ship that's happy to trade shots in a lot of cases, but if you don't have to, that's good. Um, the one thing to keep in mind, though, is if you have a ship that can only barrel roll and you do a straight-on approach, typically, if you arc dodge, you're not getting a shot on your opponent, right? Like, it's actually, it's rarely possible to arc dodge straight on to opponent by just a barrel roll left or right and still have an opportunity to shoot at them. It varies with base sizes, I would imagine. I haven't broken this down by like medium and big base, which would actually be helpful. I think the way it works with a medium or a big base is that the entire arc just sort of shifts forwards. So that, that band becomes a little bit different. Um, but overall, though, right? Like every, we, we talk about how Vader feels very restrictive or doesn't feel like a true ace. It comes down to not having boost. No, you're, you're absolutely right. Um one of the games I played tonight, like it was as soon as I saw, I went up against Vader and as soon as I saw the afterburner charges were gone, like it was just like, okay, now I know, I know going up against it, I'm going to know a lot more places where it can be instead of having to worry about where it can't be. Um, so as soon as those afterburner charges were out, like I could set up my perfect engagement that I needed for it and do what I had to do where when you have those afterburner charges with Vader, the options are almost limitless. Like you, I mean, sure you're restricted to those three speed maneuvers or above, but I mean, they're all white. They're fine. You can do so much with them. Well, so that's the really cool thing about afterburners, right? Is that, um, like you'd look at a ship like Vader and we'll, we'll get into this a little bit later, but you know, a ship with slow maneuvers can set up the arc dodge turn a little bit better sometimes if they also have fast maneuvers on their dial, right? Mm -hmm. So there's just sort of this concept of like, remember that blob I was talking about? You're kind of like trying to time the turn that you're going to be in close enough that arc dodging is even a concept. And you're trying to time it in such a way that like it's to your advantage. So some people do that by just running away and fully arc dodging without taking shots until like that opportunity just arrives. And honestly, that's how I do it. Like, I, I'm not, most of the time, I'm not going into a game like, well, if they put their ship right there and I put my ship here, then I'll land in this green zone and I can barrel roll and boost out. Like, no, that's not how it works, right? There's more, like, there's more general kind of, like, setup that's less, you, know, you just don't have full knowledge, right? Um, so what's cool, though, with, with Vader is he can go slow. The problem is, to do the arc dodge turn, you kind of have to go fast. And your opponent knows that, right? So that that's actually adds like this super interesting dynamic of like, 
well, if they want to pull this off, they're going to have to three bank, right? So that that's really where Afterburners is like. I, I think Afterburners is an example of a extraordinarily well-designed card, right? Like speed-dependent actions are super interesting, um, and it fundamentally changes the way Vader plays. But moving on, um, the, the last image here was just essentially of, uh, of of the Jedi that I talked about. Now, what's interesting with the Jedi, right, is that all of those reposition actions that we talked about, and I mentioned this several times, you can do the boost barrel roll maneuver and not end stressed. Now, that's Afterburners lets you get to a similar place, right? Like Vader can do a boost with Afterburners and not end stressed. What's huge about that is it allows you to K-turn the very next turn or sloop in the Jedi's case, which is massive, right? Um, so that that whole thing of like, when you boost in barrel roll to get the arc dodge, you should be aware that you're kind of committing yourself, even if you get the shot from out of arc, you are somewhat committing yourself to being stressed for most ships. Jedi, Vader with afterburners a little bit less so, um, but that's that's that ends up being, it can become a negative effect depending, like we're talking about a 1v1, most games of X-Wing is not 1v1, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. Um. Um. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Dude. I I get a little bit on this, but I'll, no. I'll sure. So, yeah. Yeah. So uh, the the very last image here is I'm I'm arc dodging, and this is specific to I'm the ace moving last, right? So everything so far I've talked about is either like straight on with a boost and barrel roll, straight on with just a barrel roll, or on an angle with a barrel roll out, right? The last one here is I want to get out of arc, and I'm not concerned about taking a shot. Right. And this is really important because there's a lot of times where you're in a situation where like being out of arc entirely is more important than taking a shot. Right. You don't want to have the trade. So one of the things I wanted to note was that if you're straight on at like range three at the corner of your opponent's arc, this is an example. If you do a banked boost that's still in arc and then you attempt to barrel roll, if your goal is to get out of arc, don't barrel roll towards your opponent. Again, to some people, this might be completely obvious, but these new 2.0 barrel rolls are not very large. They don't they don't send you forward, really, in any capacity. So if you barrel roll towards your opponent, right, you're going to end up probably back in arc and just taking shots. If you barrel roll out, you'll get a little bit more distance, a little bit further, and you're more likely to, to just end up out of arc. It'll make more sense when you look at the image. Um, but the specific thing is if you're, you're basically facing your opponent and you boost away from their arc line don't barrel roll in or at least you ideally if your whole goal is just to get out of arc do a straight boost and barrel roll left or barrel roll right depending on where you are mm -hmm. uh, that'll give you more distance and make it just easier to sight i find it's very very difficult to sight whether or not the like the edge line of an arc is going to keep me in arc when i'm doing a barrel roll and i'm like parallel with it is that it's difficult to explain, mm -hmm. but you guys following yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's, it's like a huge tip, though, for listeners, right? Like, if you think your barrel roll left forward is or right forward is going to get you out of arc and it's right on the line, I mean, that thing never goes as far forward as you would expect, right? It's um, it's just risky. Yeah. So, Andrew, you said uh, before we move on from here, uh, I think you said you had a comment? Yeah, just about the. Um... Uh, so I was going up against Sith Infiltrators against uh, Jedi Anakin specifically, and it just, it was rough. <laughs> um, it just, 
being able to, especially with the large base arc dodge, like it was very hard to keep Anakin in arc at all that he could essentially do the boost barrel roll and be out of two different arcs completely based off of where like I was at. Um, it's, and here's the other thing about this is that just because you can, like you can boost and you can barrel roll and sometimes you're not getting a shot off yourself and that's okay too. Like if you are avoiding a shot to, or you're not shooting to be able to avoid a shot, that sometimes is the right answer to do as well. Like, e- even if, like, it, it puts you in the wrong position, like, these things are just, I'm just talking specifically about the Aether sprites, that, like, they, they can do this. You can set up that perfect engagement for you as well in the next turn. And, like, oh, uh, I, I know, I'm just, <laughs> triggered, I'm just triggered from this Aether sprite in that game. Like, I was well, just, like, I'm thinking in my head, like, I was like, there, there's yeah. no, nothing I could do about this. Um, like, well, I, I, well, there was, right? So right, it's actually there, a good transition. Was. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, so it's a good transition, but I think what you mentioned there, right, of, like, as the person who's moving last the opportunity to arc dodge, I, I mentioned this already, but it's worth repeating. A, a lot of times what you see from players is they are they are just basically doing the safest maneuver, waiting for the moment that they can actually, you know, get the boost barrel roll out of arc or get the barrel roll out of arc and that shot. Um, it, it's, it's, it's much more dynamic than what any of the images in the, the show notes are going to be sh- like describing. Right. Um, and, and what you talked about is critical, right? Like you need to be able to recognize when it's the right time to stay in arc and trade. And it often is. And when it's the right time with an ace, just to peace out. Right. Not every ace needs to peace out every turn. Right, that's super important because mm-hmm. if you spend too much time not taking shots, and the rest of your list does, you're going to end up with an end game that your ace can't handle, right? Um, but it, you know, overall though, like the Jedi themselves, because of the way the K turns work, you can set up locks and still K turn, right? Like, there's you're not stressing. All that becomes very helpful and can lead to the situation you were describing, Andrew. Um, it's not just that he arc dodge, right? I bet when he arc dodge, he also took a target lock. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean. Here's the thing about, like, the, with the, so, like, normally with, like, a small base ship versus a small base ship, you can barrel, boost, and sometimes you'll be out of arc. With the large base ship, you can barrel, boost, and then you'll be out of arc, and then you'll be getting the shot, too, because you have all that extra coverage that you have to be aware of. Um, so, so, yeah, it's a little bit easier to mark, to get those shots off on the... Um, on large base ships with the boosting and barrel rolling out of arc, as opposed their arcs to... are wider, right? So it's like the the threat range maybe is a little bit bigger, but their the base is bigger itself. So when you get out of arc, you have a you know just the the likelihood of you being able to still take a shot is is higher, right? Um, right. so the images I haven't actually broken down any large bases. It actually it would be interesting too, right? Because that whole range where you can boost barrel out and still have a shot is a little bit larger. Mm-hmm. Um to the other direction so all right so so moving into what i think is the more interesting topic but hopefully that some of this was helpful like people can look at the images um you know moving last itself is sort of reactionary so like everyone is reasonably good at it right like it's it's more being good at moving last is more about patience and you know setting up the field this next topic is a lot harder 
Um, and I don't necessarily, I don't, I didn't have really good answers or a way to describe the the first segment of this. This part is is much more difficult for me to explain uh, because I'm still learning it, and I don't, I don't know that we as a community have a good grasp of of this. A lot of times, what you hear is like, "Oh, you lost the initiative bid, huh? Well, I guess you lose now, right?" Or like, "Oh, my, it's Anakin versus Suntir, and, and Suntir is moving last. Well, Suntir is going to win, right?" Well, it's not necessarily true. Um, in a 1v1, sure, the odds are stacked against you, but there's got to be some stuff that we can do to sort of even things out, right? Mm-hmm. Something just to improve your odds. Because even if you get half points towards the end of the game, you've still won that game potentially, right? You don't have to kill the ship, but just getting half points could get you there. Um, so, so before we get into like the things you can do, I think it's interesting just to talk about the feeling of having a ship that's moving first that normally is moving last that it feels bad right that is the definition of feels bad man (laughs) no definitely i I mean and that's the other thing is like when when you do have a bid and then your opponent bids deeper than you um it's good to have a game plan for what you can then do Right. And just to get over that moment of like, like, you know, even at the start of the game, I've seen people who just resign themselves to having lost. And this is often true in a mirror, right? So if you're in a mirror, then yeah, like, losing the bid is a significant problem. Um, And if you're in a 1v1 aces fight, like, absolutely, the ace moving last has a huge advantage. Um, But giving up is like, that's pointless, right? (laughs) You know, like, there's still still got to try. Sure. Um, All right. So I, I kind of boiled this down to a couple general things that I think you want to try and have happen. Um, so I've rarely done these super intentionally. Like I've often just stumbled into them during the course of the game. Uh, but I, I break it down like this. Rule number one, you need to get shots. Now, whereas before we were talking about ace moving last, you want to take a shot while I, without defending, right? We want those uncontested shots. If you're moving first, your number one priority is to get shots. And ideally, get shots that you do more damage than they do. Right? So this breaks down to like really specific things that you can try. Um, so number one, you probably need to point your ship at your opponent. Right? That's like, it sounds really basic, but like you got to point your ship at the bad guy or it, they're not going to have to react to you at all. Right? Yeah. Um, we, we, people refer to this as threatening the ace, which we've talked about in the past. Um, but it just like fundamentally, I think you just you need to be some you need to be aggressive enough that they're, you're putting them on the back foot. Um, and then from there, there's concepts of like, you know, you can when you're moving first, there is some area denial that's available to you based on what their dial looks like and the range that you are from them. So you know that. You know, as an example, Anakin can do a one bank, but he can only do a two forward, right? Yeah. So, and then he, he has a one hard turn, which is kind of interesting. But if he wants to keep momentum going forward towards you, his options, the slowest options he has are one banks, two forward, right? You can take advantage of that. What you can do is gun it into basically the zone that'll definitely catch a block or that he can't possibly occupy and take a shot at you. Mm-hmm. If you do that properly without bumping into him, you can take what I would refer to as a blocking locking turn, right? Where essentially you put yourself in a spot that allows you to take a target lock and pretty much guarantees you're not going to take a shot unless they like 
read your mind and pull a 5k and stare you down right which would like if they do that shake their hand like that's great you pulled the 5k like way earlier than i would have expected right um so but like that this is something where you're sort of like like taking back control of that matchup a little bit now the problem is you haven't taken a shot yet because now they've either bumped you or they've moved past you right now you're not defending but all you've done is set up a target lock so the next thing that you're kind of thinking about is obviously the k-turn right the trouble with this is, depending on the speed of your K-turn, you might be entirely out of arc, setting up another Joust that they can then consider ways to arc dodge. But either way, this is better than being ranged to, you know, facing them while they boost and barrel roll out and act like they're good at the game. Right? Sure. Like, you don't want to be in that situation. Um, touching touching base on that is, like, just following up what you said. Like, I mean, if your next move is to K-turn, like, I, I know I talked about this earlier in the week that, like, I feel like K turns, the only time that you should really be doing them is when you absolutely need to get that last shot off or if you are completely out of the fight and trying to get back in because then in this specific scenario, they know that you are basically at their will because they know that your greens, you're at the will of your greens basically. Well, well, so, but let's, let's talk about that, right? Because I think that's an oversimplification in some ways, right? Like it's on your dial and it's super useful. So we, t- we talked before about like not overstressing, right? When you're moving last, the reason, one of the reasons you don't want to do that is because when you do that, you restrict your dial. Right. So it, basically, y- yes, you, you, you want to avoid a K turn that is going to stress you when you could have taken a shot where you could have just modified. Right. But it's, it's like sloops and talent rolls and K turns like, people should use them when i run jedi right i k turn like a madman right like i i'm 5k turning all the time and it's totally fine because what i was just describing that block locking turn that i put all that effort into setting up if i did it against anakin unfortunately unless i have slow talon roll maneuvers or k turns that still keep him in arc he's just gonna 5k turn and be out of arc anyways right, right? he'll be beyond range three after doing right. that if i did a 4k um so, like, it, it's on your dial. Use it. The tricky bit then becomes, like, you know, taking advantage of it from an action point of view. So, I think, I think Andrew, what I would agree with you on is you probably want to avoid K-turns where you don't have mods after you did it, right? Sure. There's nothing wrong with setting up a target lock, though, in K-turning, even if you're moving last, right? Like, that's... But, like, it's ending with no mods for defense or offense. That's a problem. Sure, sure. No, I, I definitely agree with, like... It really, I guess it would depend really ship dependent too. So like if you are flying a Aether Sprite and you can have the mods and possibly an L as far as your next turn, sure, it, it might be fine. But if you have something like, I don't know, let's say Fenrel where you are moving first and then you target lock it to block off, you do a one turn into it. Um, well, yeah. And so, then so, you do a two, yeah. if you do like a two talenters of uh, 4K, it's going to be real easy for Anakin just to be like, okay, I know you're going to be within the next three turns because you have to two turn out of this. Yes. Somehow. Well, well, right. So, but this is where the nuance becomes interesting though, right? Like, so ships are different. Um, if, if I run a Fang fighter, so this is actually like where aces are substantively different. So what I was just talking about of like, if I'm running Kylo Ren against a Jedi, the K turn looks a lot more appealing. Sure. Um, 
the, the difficult thing for a fang like fang fighters are this weird odd case because they spend more time in arc right and they're actually really bad at disengaging um so like if you were a fang fighter moving first i feel like you're at a significantly greater disadvantage than a normal ace um just because of like your offense is dependent on keeping something in arc right, right. and you re- your 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 basic uh, your your dial is sort of semi-restrictive and you know after you get in close the turns after that are actually very difficult um in terms of avoiding shots so keeping with the general items though i think like the, the basic concept that, are, that i'm trying to get to here is you want to set up a trade where you do more damage a blocking lock in turn helps there but there's other basic stuff like keeping distance so that you can essentially jump range before your the ace opponent expects you to can put them in that kind of orange zone of your arc that they can't boost or barrel out of so part of this is just sort of recognizing when you're playing a kg opponent who maybe doesn't have the guts to go fast to a spot where it'll make it more likely for them to arc dodging close um and that if you jump range faster ships are better at this you can sort of catch them out um, but often that requires you to go slow at the right time just to do that. Um, again, difficult to describe, but it's like really fundamental if you're in one of these 1v1s of, uh, you know, not not going too fast, but like recognizing when your opponent is maybe maybe giving you space that they shouldn't. Um, so then what, what all this leads to, though, is you want to force a chase. So what you just talked about with the Fang Fighters, which is so brutal, they can't actually K-turn or Talon and not take shots without mods. When they disengage, you need to hunt them down. That's true for any ace. right? Like it, As soon as you get behind them, you can sort of pressure them for at least one or two turns, unless they hard turn to shake you. Um, so th- those are the moments you really have to take advantage because they won't last long. right? Eventually, they're going to get away, and you're going to be back in the same situation again of trying to sort of force them to be on the back foot. Um so those are all the generic things. Then you add a whole bunch of other elements to it, like you know, engaging them near the edge of the board, corners or rocks, or using other ships in your list, which obviously changes the scenario, to sort of restrict all their their options. Um, it starts to feel a little bit less scary. You're still probably going to lose, but you're just trying to improve your chances of not losing. Right. Um, so then I, you know, I, it, a couple other notes I had in here is that you, if you add other kind of movement abusing mechanics it sort of changes the whole dynamic and it becomes a lot less interesting to discuss in my opinion right so like if you have supernatural advanced sensors even decloaks rear arc boosts even multi-arcs all this stuff um, even white k-turns sort of change the entire dynamic in like a way that's it's still interesting in its own respect but it's not the same kind of problem that you're solving um at that point you know your options just sort of increase in the 1v1 you don't have to necessarily move last to win um so so I, the, the last kind of comment i'll throw out here on this is uh if you look at specific ships and we started to, to get into it the the speed their slowest speed maneuvers are things you should be familiar with right um and then you know essentially like that blocking area that you can inhabit the more familiar you are with that the more you can sort of take advantage of it um so that's that's most of what I had on this. There's a whole bunch of images people can sort of could, sort of go through. I know we blitzed through that. I just I don't want to be up till midnight for this. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, um, wh- one of the things I know we were talking about, like with moving first, is the, the asteroid field is definitely your friend. Like 
it, it, you were talking about like setting up lanes and setting up like different things. Like if, if you could restrict all these different if you can absolutely restrict them doing a barrel, you, you should actually try to set up certain speeds where they are going to be, they won't have a choice that like you could set up these different lanes. And, and th th again, this is like a turn zero thing that you should try to prepare for something along these lines. I know these aren't in the notes. I'm just going off memory, but like you, you can absolutely try to set up these different, sections and zones where it becomes a lot harder to just arc dodge out right yeah so like and like it's it's the rocks can help with that but even just you know the, the one of the core concepts is threatening the ace so maybe they just need to try to get out of arc without taking a shot if that forces them to stress at a bad time you're now planning for less moves on their dial yep right and that's a win like i when i'm in these kinds of situations in game like, you kind of have to take satisfaction from, like, the smallest victories, right? And, like, that's what makes it really fun, actually, is, like, if you forced, you know, Soomtir to boost in barrel roll and stress, then, like, that's a moment where you feel like you're now on the front foot, right? And you earn that, right? Because, like, they 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 pretty much had all the cards, right? They, they could have avoided that. Um, so, like, the rocks are a huge thing. Anything that'll sort of force them to, to have to try and avoid your arc without taking a shot is going to give you good options. Yeah. Um, and then I, you know, the, the hardest thing to teach people is the better, you know, every dial in the game, the, the more natural all of this is. If you're ever kind of not sure about what every possible move on an opponent's dial is, then you're putting yourself at a disadvantage. Um, Absolutely. And that comes down to reps. Right. I know back. All right. So this is, completely irrelevant to x-wing but like back when i used to play like a lot of the moba games and everything like that like i had a buddy that was just like oh i'm just gonna play one person over and over again and i was like yeah but what if you played everybody and understood everybody's like different characters if you're not familiar with the moba it's like you choose one champion and they have a bunch of different abilities but everything's different so in a, in some regards this is almost the same exact thing that like you could spend a ton of reps on one person and get like the ins and outs of that person which i'm not saying is wrong with this case that you should absolutely do that but at the same time if you don't know what that opponent is capable of doing across the table of you you're going to be in for a shock value and and granted i know a lot of the higher like ranked players will absolutely know that but i mean if you are just coming into the game and starting out like that's something that like if you see this as a problem first thing you should do is pick it up and play with it like check them out yeah and and here's here's the thing i would i would say like a good memory is extraordinarily helpful to x-wing right um so like like tristan had a, a really fun blog where he talked about like simple practice games that take 10 minutes a lot of that actually applies to self-practice it could be a really good way to just familiarize yourself with dials now what's what's cool right is like really knowing how a dial works and how it interacts with all of these kind of like range management problems that we were just talking about, right? That takes a lot of reps. Like there, sure. there is this sort of like margin of knowledge of how a ship flies that you really don't get until you've spent a lot of time with it in game situations that are tense against the field. Um, but even just taking 10 minutes to fly something just to learn its dial, if you don't forget it, that's helpful. <laughs> um, which is hard though, but like you just, just, just brute force memorize like aces dials if you're expecting to have those matchups it's worthwhile um which which leads to like 
I, I, I guess I have a couple notes here that I, I do want to touch on. Um, you know, like the X-Wing and the TIE Advance are very similar ships. You can sort of lump them into a, sl- a category of kind of one forward to victory and then not. <laughs> um, but that, like they're kind of the classic one forward ship. And then, you know, they have options on their dial to do different things, particularly with afterburners. How you approach that game is very different than going up against a Jedi. We're going up against Kylo or Soontir. So, like, specifically to Kylo and Suntir, their slowest maneuvers are all two speeds if they're moving towards you. That makes them ridiculously vulnerable, right? The two banks and the two forwards are really fast. So it, not only does that make them vulnerable to blocks, but on top of that, they have to stress to do all of their fancy maneuvers, right? So you actually know that they're they're not trying to boost and barrel roll too often because then they can't cater. Sure. Um, and it makes for a much more manageable game if you sort of know those like simple facts about a ship. Uh, the Fang Fighter is like I don't. This is why we talk about the Fang Fighter being in a difficult spot. It does the reverse, but it, to me, it feels like it, it has these really cool kind of like short talent rules, which allow you to keep things in arc. But the problem is, once you do them, you just take damage. <laughs> um, like you're not range one, that becomes a serious issue. Um, so I haven't broken down everything here, but like, here's a ship that I know barely anything about, the E-Wing, hmm. right? Like, I, because it's an extended, I don't touch it, right? I haven't used it. Um, but like, really knowing the E-Wing's dial, like, that's there's more to that ship than just the, you know, the turn zero target lock. Um, and if I ever came up against it, you know, in, if someone really knew how to run that in a game, just like, I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily know all the nuances of how I want to approach it right off the bat because I don't know its style. Sure. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Um, that speaking of that, like that was, uh, I know it was one of the first things that I kind of like started blaming myself of. I ever lost. I'm like, oh well, I don't know the dial or anything like that. Like, I don't know what if you can do that if you're capable of doing that. Um, sure, but I, again, if I know. Having a good memory is definitely helpful for that. But in the middle of a game, you can always just ask to see your opponent's style. If you ever forget, like, take that as a tip. Like, when you're thinking about your maneuvers, just ask to borrow their dial so you can see it. I mean, everything is open information that is FFG documentation, and dials are all FFG documentation. So uh, that is an option that you can do if you ever do forget. And I have seen that, right? And that the people do have dial sheets that sure. they, 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 they are allowed. Jonathan, I think you had one, didn't you? Yeah, like I used to. Book. I always printed out dial sheets and carried them around. But the dials are all in, um, at least like in Launch Bay Next, you can just search for the dial. You can just look up dial. Right, yeah, which is cool. Um, so, like, again, you want all this to be happening on the fly. So yeah. the, the last, the very last comment I'll make on this, and I think there's all, this won't be the last time we talk about arc dodging and, 1v1s and stuff like that i actually want to break down specific 1v1s in the future because i think it's really cool to get you know just more specific about if it's a silencer versus an interceptor what does that game look like Um, now of course it's all contrived but i think there's a lot to find out in there what i would say to the listeners is actively seek out practice games where you're moving first with an ace that you're used to thinking i win when i move last right like just put yourself in those games and like don't dread them, but actually just practice them and enjoy them. Um, and I, the way you can do that is by having these little marginal goals while you're losing, that you know you know you're actually helping yourself. <laughs> um, that that's like like really getting the reps. There's no substitute for having reps running an ace that you like, moving first. 
which means don't be afraid to fill out to 200 points, you know, um, that that'll like, if you're going to casual nights, just spend all your points, move first. Like there's no honor there, right? Like you're not, you're not winning titles. Um, just, just get that experience because you know, you can handle moving last, right? There's more to be talked about in terms of like practicing running away and avoiding arcs entirely. That is its own problem to solve. Um, but just, just actively try to put yourself in situations where you're not moving last. All right, guys, I think that's going to do it for this week's episode. Just a couple things before we close out. Uh, the Red Caps hyperspace trial on July 4th. We were able to open up five more spots. May so- 4th. May 4th, thank you. I don't know why I said July 4th. <laughs> um, so on May 4th, we have five spots open. So they're going to fill up. Uh, I know we opened up eight spots and they sold out almost instantly. So... This might be the, they might not even be available by the time we air this episode. But if they are, check it out. It's going to be a great event. Um, we are going to have some Liberty Squadron alt arts to hand out. Um, we also are be, will be getting the new Liberty Squadron alt arts from Mark Moriarty over at Hangar 19. He is finishing up our General Grievous alt art. I'm going to post a preview in our on our Facebook page. Uh, they will be available at Patreon, which should be having uh, some as prize support at the Hyperspace Trial. So check them out there. Um, we a little bit. I know we're a little bit slow on the Patreon rewards, but we should be picking it up a little bit after. I know the, this Grievous. We're gonna have two different versions of it to give out for our Patreons, um, and then we should be picking up a little bit of the other alt arts come down the line. So definitely check us out there. And check us out at the Red Caps Hyperspace Trial. We'll be streaming it. We'll be running it. Um, Chris will be participating in it. And hopefully he doesn't place ninth again. Um, <laughs> I Honestly, I'd be happy with ninth. More, more, more dice. I need, I need sure. a full set of dice. Nice. Um, but other than that, I think that does it for this week's episode. So I want to thank everyone for listening. And have a good night. Bye, everyone. Good night, everyone.